Hey, welcome to the Impact Podcast. Thanks for tuning in. We hope this week's message is a blessing to you like it was to us. Let's go ahead and jump into it. All right, we are in Romans chapter 12, reading in verse number 9, all the way through the chapter. Are you ready? Say yes. All right, here we go. It says, don't just pretend to love others. Really love them. Hate what is wrong. Hold tightly to what is good. Love each other with genuine affection and take delight in honoring each other. Keep them rolling. Never be lazy, but work hard and serve the Lord enthusiastically. Rejoice in our confident hope. Be patient in trouble and keep on praying. When God's people are in need, be ready to help them. Always be eager to practice hospitality. Bless those who persecute you. Do not curse them. Pray that God will bless them. Be happy for those who are happy. Weep with those who weep. Live in harmony with each other. Don't be too proud to enjoy the company of ordinary people. Don't think you know it all. Come on, say, don't know it all. All right. Never pay back evil for more evil. Do things in such a way that everyone can see that you are honorable. Do all that you can to live in peace with everyone. That'll preach right there all by itself. Do all you can to live in peace with everyone. Dear friends, never take revenge. Leave that to the righteous anger of God. For scripture says, I will take revenge. I will pay them back, says the Lord. Instead, if your enemies are hungry, feed them. If they are thirsty, give them something to drink. In doing this, you will heap burning coals of shame upon their heads. And lastly, Don't let evil conquer you, but conquer evil by doing good. The King James Version says, don't be overcome with evil, but overcome evil with good. Everybody look to your neighbor and say, overcoming evil is part of a transformed life. Amen. Father, we come to you in the mighty name of Jesus. We thank you for this opportunity to be in your house, God, to hear your word. God, we thank you that it's a lamp to our feet, that it's a light to our path. God, we thank you that the word is available and ready for sound doctrine, for reproof and rebuke, God, and for all long suffering. God, we thank you that the word of God is an ever-present help, God, in our time of need. So God, lead, God and direct this discussion in your word, in the mighty name of Jesus. Amen and amen. You can be seated tonight. All right, so as I said, we're going to begin our our last sermon, if you will, in our Transformed series tonight. And there's there's a whole bunch of scriptures that I read tonight. And so tonight's going to be more of what we call an expository type preaching, meaning we're going to work through these 11 verses or so that I just read, and we're 12 verses or so that I just read, and we're going to go line by line, and we're going to talk about them. And there's lots of lines here, so we don't have a ton of time to really dig deep and dive into all all of those, but I want to hit all of them because I think it's important that you understand the importance of uh, what these particular passages of Scripture mean. In fact, in my Bible, and I don't know if your Bible has the same or not, but my Bible has headings, like the chapters are broken up and they summarize what the particular chunks of Scripture we're reading. And in this chunk of Scripture, it's got the heading that we are to behave like Christians. So this passage of Scripture focuses on the behavior that we should see and that of a transformed believer. So our journey in our series to this point has dealt with a few thoughts. As transformed believers, number one, in week one, that we are to be a living sacrifice. That means, that means we are to yield our flesh to a life in the Spirit. Everybody say, live in the Spirit. 
Week two, failing to do so will, uh, will inevitably lead to a life of conformity, not a life of transformation. And without transformation, there is little hope for the sinner man or the sinner woman because when they come to themselves and they recognize that their life of sin is no longer worth living, they look to a church, a people of God, believers who are to be transformed for a better way to live in. And if the church and you are part of that church, if you've spent your entire life conforming to the ideas, behaviors, and system and thinking of this world when that sinner man and that sinner woman comes to themselves and they begin to look to the church for someone who is different, for someone who is special, for someone who is peculiar, for someone who's lived a better way and they don't find any transformed believers. They see only those who have conformed to the same pattern of living that they themselves are trying to get out of. That is the greatest tragedy of conformity. And when you don't live in the spirit and you walk in the flesh, you give in to that spirit of conformity. And after you make up your mind to walk in the spirit you begin to know the will of God for your life and that's what we talked about in the third week is we begin to know the will of God by walking in a transformed life we learn that the will of God is good not only is it good is acceptable and not only is it acceptable it is perfect God's will is complete it doesn't need your help to be the will of God like Abraham trying to fulfill the will of God by going to Hagar outside of the promise of God God doesn't need your help elbow somebody and say God don't need your help all right God doesn't need our help he just needs us to transform our thinking to the thinking of Christ and yield to a life in the spirit then we will begin to know the will of God and one of the wills of God is that we are to be active members in the body of Christ and each of us play a very specific role as members of the body of Christ. And so whatever your role is, whatever your giftings are, don't try to be someone else, fit something else, don't do square peg, round hole, whatever it is, God has got a specific gift and calling for you and only in everybody operating in the gifting and calling that God has for them can the body of Christ be truly whole and complete and perfect in doing that which God intended for it to do here on this earth. Somebody say amen. amen. All right. So tonight we're going to begin, uh, we're going to conclude our series knowing that behavior, uh, the, 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 the behaviors that we're going to reveal tonight or review tonight should be in full display in the life of a believer. And I wrote this little sticky note because I thought about it after I put my sermon on my iPad. And so I'm going to read it and give it to somebody, stick it in your car, stick it on your window. But it's one of my favorite scriptures of all time. It's probably 2719, and it says this, as a face is reflected in the water or a mirror, right? You look in the mirror, you get a reflection of your face, right? I look in the mirror, regardless of what I like or what I don't like, that is me. That is the reflection of me. The mirror isn't lying. That is a reflection of me. So the heart reflects the real identity of a person, right? I'm going to give that to you. So you've got to understand that just like you and I look in a natural mirror, that gives us a true and accurate reflection of who we are on the outside, I can look at your heart and your behavior because out of the abundance of the heart, the mouth speaks. Out of the heart flows the issues of life. That is how you behave based off of what you put in your heart. And like Brother Caleb was saying just a few moments ago, right, that we need to uh, yield our heart to the Lord. And you can tell who you've yielded your heart to by monitoring what comes out of your mouth because the Bible says out of the abundance, right, out of what occupies most of your heart, out of the abundance of your heart, your mouth will speak. Nudge your other neighbor and say, don't worry, you'll tell on yourself. 
Amen. Right? Eventually, everybody tells on themselves, put them under a little pressure, put them under a little distress, put them under just a little bit of anxiety, and eventually, under pressure, under the, under the weight of the enemy coming after people, under the pressures and cares and concerns of this world, you will ultimately open up your mouth and you will reveal what is in your mouth. Because out of the abundance of the, you'll reveal rather what is in your heart, because out of the abundance of the heart, the mouth will speak. So your behavior, your words, your actions, we don't want to put emphasis on your behavior, your words, or your actions, because we know that there's no deed that you can do ultimately that'll get you into heaven. You've heard the phrase that the road to hell is paved with good intentions and good actions, but yet, child of God, we are to display the fruit and characteristics and behavior of Christ and the attitudes of Christ, and if we have the attitudes of Christ, we will ultimately show the behavior of Christ. So what you do won't get you to heaven, but what you do is a reflection of what's in your heart, and what's in your heart will ultimately determine how and if you get to heaven. Come on, somebody. So the Bible talks about our behavior, and it begins to go through, and now we're going to kind of get into the expository, and I'm going to teach you a little bit tonight, but if I get a little happy, I mean, just praise the Lord, that happens sometimes. The Bible says love, right, to love one another, and this is in verse 9, love is to be sincere and active. So if you could follow me along, thank you, in the scripture, it says, let your love be without hypocrisy. Let it be sincere. Let it be active. Let your love for one another be the real thing. I love what the Amplified Version says. It says, without guile and without hypocrisy. So guile and hypocrisy here is, is teaching of deception and being two-faced, right? God doesn't want our love to be two-faced, right? We are to love one another. Now, in the English world, we have the word love, and there's only one word for the word love. But in the Greek world, there are four words for the four words for the Greek word love. There is eros, there is philia, there is agape, and there is storage. And so the particular love here that is being referenced is philia, right? It's where you hear the word Philadelphia. Anybody know the city of Philadelphia? It's known as the city of what? Brotherly love, that's right. And so we are to, the Bible says, have, and this is one of the strongest forms of love, we are to have brotherly love, sincere, kindly affectionate with one another. Not be two-faced, not say, oh, I love you, but then I'm stabbing you in the back when you aren't around, right? Don't say I love you to their face, but then you hate them behind their back with your words or with your actions. Don't say you love them, but in your heart you have guile against them or bitterness against them or jealousy against them. You cannot love them. And so if you go to 1 Corinthians chapter 13, get super familiar with it because you'll begin to identify what true love is. I'm going to teach somebody tonight. I'm going to give you just a few examples. Love is patient, right? Love is kind. Love does not envy. Love isn't arrogant and it doesn't go around boasting. Love is not rude. It does not insist and demand. It gets its own way. Love is not irritable or impatient or resentful. It does not rejoice in wrongdoing, but rejoices in the truth, right? And so when you say you love somebody, right, you compare that to 1 Corinthians 13 and ask yourself, is it really love? Amen. 
The next thing it says is hate that which is evil. Detest all ungodliness. Do not tolerate wickedness in your life. Hate that which is evil. Friend of God, child of God, young man, young woman, you need to understand that as a born again believer, you are serving a righteous God who is only good. The Bible says every good and every perfect thing comes from the Father above with whom there is no veritableness, neither even a shadow of turning. If it's good, if it's God, it's, if it's good, it's God. If it's bad, it is not God. So we all the time go around trying to blame God for bad things going on in our life. Listen, nothing bad can originate from God. God is the progenitor of all things good. Every good and every perfect thing comes from the Father above. Anything not good, anything is not perfect is a result of the perversion of man that is simply walked in sin and nothing good can come out of sin. The Bible says as believers of God who serve a God that can only do good, we should hate that which is evil. We should not embrace it. We should not coddle it. We should not befriend it. We should not be besties with it. We should not warm up to the idea of it. If it's evil, it is not God. In fact, it is contrary to the character of God because God is only good. That's why the word of God says, woe unto them in the last days who call good evil and evil good. Listen, I say a lot of things behind this pulpit that in my professional position, one day I'm sure I'm going to get called into the office and I'm going to have to, it already kind of happened a couple weeks ago, bless God. I may not have a job very long, but they asked me, they said, well, what's your perspective on this diversity and inclusion initiative? Well, let me go ahead and help some young people who are going to be adults here in the very near future. And you're likely going to find yourself employed in some sort of secular job. Diversity and inclusion is a professional word they try to use to say, just accept everybody the way they are, Everybody, the way they are, it's just it's it's all held under this guise of tolerance. Now listen, God loves you enough to accept you the way you are, but he also loves you enough not to leave you the way he found you. Amen. And so you know, sometimes as, as people of God, we have to reconcile with this notion that I have to hate that which is evil. Detest all ungodliness. Do not tolerate wickedness in your life. Now listen, if you've got a phone which is most of you, and it's a smartphone because most of you don't have dumb phones. Smartphones will accept picture messages and videos. I kid you not, boys, listen to me. Girls, listen to me. If you get a picture from that boy, you get a picture from that girl, and it is inappropriate, it is wicked, it is evil, I would delete them in an instant, in a flash, in a heartbeat. I'd be like Joseph running out of the hands of Potiphar's wife. Why? The Bible says abhor what is evil. Nobody's watching, nobody sees it, nobody sees you say that and download it to the cloud for views later but let me tell you something right now in the name of Jesus flee ye youthful lust run from it it's a trap from the enemy she doesn't love you he doesn't love you they just lust you and the enemy is out to steal he is out to kill and he is out to destroy and until there's people of God that says I'm going to abhor I'm going to hate that which is evil Everything about the current culture of this world is keyed off this world of tolerance, diversity, inclusion. you got to have enough sense to change your friend group if necessary. Enough sense to go through your social media friend list and uncheck some people, unfollow some people, block some people. Bless God, delete some, delete some people. For the love of all that is sanctified and holy, maybe just flat out forget about some people, right? Because the Bible demands better of the people of God. i got to move on. Hold on. Hold on tightly to what is good. Come on, everybody say, hold tight to what is good. 
It's basically shed your hands of evil. Don't hold a grip to that which is evil. But the Bible says rather the opposite. Hold tight to that which is good. I dare somebody look to your neighbor and say, I'm not letting go of this thing. What I found is a good thing. I'm not letting go of Jesus. I'm not letting go of this cross. I'm not letting go of this doctrine. I'm not letting go of sanctified, Holy Ghost, consecrated living. I know by clinging tight to that old rugged cross, I'll isolate myself. But the Bible says one day I'm going to cling. As I cling to that old rugged cross, one day I'm going to exchange that cross. Amen. I'm going to exchange it for a crown. Amen. Oh, that old, I love this verse. I actually, I actually went out and Googled it and I found this verse on that old rugged cross. I love it. Oh, that old rugged cross so despised by the world has a wondrous attraction to me for the dear lamb of God left his glory above to bear it to dark Calvary. You see, I won't let it go. I will cling to that old rugged cross and one day I'm going to exchange it for a crown. Listen, young people, if you don't have a firm grip on Calvary, Paul the apostle said, I saved to know nothing but Jesus Christ and him crucified. You don't need any gimmicks. You don't need any gimmick. You don't need any flashiness. All you need is Jesus and him crucified. All you need is him suspended there between heaven and earth, redeeming mankind, forgiving sin, being death buried and resurrected again that you might have life forevermore with Jesus in heaven, in glory. All you need is the cross. Cling to the cross. Amen. Cling to Jesus. Revelation chapter 30, verse 1 says, I am coming soon. These are the words of Jesus. I am coming soon. Hold fast to what you have so that no one may seize your crown. Hold fast to what you have. If you don't, somebody's going to snatch it out of your hand. That's what the devil does. He comes to steal. He comes to kill and destroy. You've seen those YouTube videos of those women just carrying their purse down on Main Street, New York, and somebody come and snatches that thing. That's because she wasn't carrying that thing. She wasn't clinging to it. She wasn't holding to it. She was happy. Dangling out here like she didn't carry it. I want to tell you, child of God, you need to carry the name of God, the cross of Christ, the burden of Calvary, like it's valuable because there's nothing more valuable to this people planet. There's nothing more valuable than that which is redemption. There's nothing more valuable than that old cross. There's nothing more valuable than that hill far, far away. There's nothing more valuable than what Jesus Christ did on this cross. And the world will try to tell you, go to the self-help section. Find a book, read it. The world will try to educate you. And they'll try to tell you that you can figure out and know better. Because that's an ancient way of living. That's an old way of living. That's an archaic way of living. That's an old man way of living. But I want to tell you, if, if it was relevant 2,000 years ago, if it was good enough for Lazarus, if it was good enough for Mary of Magdalene, if it was good enough for Joseph, if it was good enough for Mary, if it was good enough for Peter, James, and Paul, and John, bless God, it's good enough for you, it's good enough for me, and it's good enough for generations to come. The cross is still relevant. Hallelujah. We must hold on to that which is good. Be devoted one to another with authentic brotherly affection as members of one family. The opposite of authentic is fake. Our devotion to fellow believers should be genuine and evident. Notice it's not just about devotion to God, the scripture points out. It is about devotion to each other. Remember, we all play a role in the body of Christ. Read your Bible. It says, be kindly affectionate one to another with brotherly love. Kindly affectionate. Being authentic in our devotion one to another. 
Let me tell you, you can say a lot about that church in the book of Acts, but one thing they had was devotion one to another. These were people who would empty their bank accounts and give it to the cause of that church so that the church could go forward. These were people who preferred others before they preferred themselves. But that's the problem with the generation of young people today. And I could say this with some authority and confidence because I've watched this generation for years and years and years and years. And it seems like each passing day, the generation becomes more and more self-absorbed, more and more about themselves, more and more about making and humanistic ideology about me, myself, and I. But the Bible says, be kindly affectionate one to another. Be devoted one to another. If a brother's overtaken in a fall, ye who are spiritual, the Bible says, restore such a one in the spirit of meekness. And I tell you right now, if somebody that you don't get along with, come on, let me talk to some of you ladies for a second because I'm going to help the men here in just a minute. And when one of the ladies that maybe you think she's nice, she's prettier than you, or maybe you think she's got it better to than you or for whatever reason that devil's planted that seed of jealousy let me tell you something jealousy is demanding and it's as cruel as the grave if you are so ate up with jealousy when that girl fails you get all giddy on the inside and you celebrate that and you say finally people found out the truth about her finally people know really what's up with her I'm telling you you are as cruel and as black in your heart as Judas was let me tell you something right now the Bible says be devoted one to another it is not the will of God it is not the plan of God that we celebrate when someone falls. Our heart ought to break because we shouldn't have the heart of ourselves and carnality. We ought to have the heart of Jesus Christ himself. And when he hung there on that cross, able to be bitter and mad at the world, he said, Father, forgive them. Well, check yourself. Amen. Friendly fire. Too many folks dying by friendly fire. Too many believers. I've said this once, twice. I won't say it a hundred times if that's what it takes. Come on. We got people in the foxhole with us fighting this devil. We're, we're fighting a spiritual warfare. We're not wrestling against flesh and blood. We're wrestling against demons and devils who desire to destroy an entire generation. This isn't about you and about who likes you and who talks to you and who likes you more than they like her or him or this, that, and the other. What I'm trying to tell you, this is a spiritual battle. This thing is for keeps. It is not dress rehearsal. It is for the eternal destination of girls and boys, their soul that will live on, their spirit that will live on forever. This thing's for real, friend. It's not dress rehearsal. But yet we're in the foxhole, the trenches. We've got a devil. We've got an enemy. It's been made clear who the enemy of God is. Yet we look at each other. And because her alpha is newer than ours and more relevant than ours. And we look at him. And because his basketball talent is better than ours. And they got more followers than ours. We're going to turn our gun. And we're going to shoot them. And we're going to try to put them down and put them under. When the Bible says we got an enemy. Let's press on towards the enemy. The kingdom of God suffers violence. And the violent take it by force. Be kindly affectionate one to another. Come on, every once in a while, look at the person, nudge him and say, I got you. I got you. You ain't fighting this thing alone. You're not going to have to face that devil alone. When you're too tired to pray, I'll pray for you. Like Aaron and Ur, when you can't do it, I'll do it for you. When you can't serve God, I'll serve God for you. When the devil's beat you up so hard and it's time to give God a praise on a Sunday night and you can't praise God, you got to have the confidence knowing that there's a sister of God who loves you. There's a brother of God who will praise for you. He'll take a lap for you. He'll shout for you. He'll dance for you. He'll run for you because one day, not too far in their future, he'll need you to do the same. Hallelujah. Give preference one to another in honor. Philippians 2, 3. Do nothing out of selfish ambition or vain conceit. But in humility, consider others better than yourself. Each of you should look not only to your own interests, 
but also to the interest of others. Philippians 2, 3. Somebody say, that's good. I'm glad you thought it was good. I'll read it again. Do nothing out of selfish ambition or vain conceit, but in humility consider others better than yourselves. Each of you should not look only at your own interests, but also in the interest of others. Give preference. We're talking about godly behavior. We're talking about the kind of behavior if you and I exhibit, we'll overcome evil in these last days. You think we're going to overcome evil being each other's enemies? You think we're going to overcome evil being selfish and thinking only about ourselves? You think we're going to overcome evil loving that evil and hating that which is good? No, the only way we're going to overcome evil is by hating that evil, holding on to that which is good, encouraging one another, preferring one another, loving one another, clinging to one another in unity in the spirit, never lagging behind in diligence. Verse 11, diligence. Not lagging in diligence. Diligence or consistency, in other words. Behavior and devotion. I'm a finance guy, and I'm going to make it real quick and real brief. Some of the greatest rewards you'll ever get in investments is when you are diligent and consistent in investing in a market that's down. Excuse me. In a market that's down. For example, my 401k, God, you know Jesus, is down 28.19% this year. Yeah, if you don't know, that's bad. That's like having a dollar and ending up with 70 cents. Like, give me my 30 cents back. And, and, and when you see 30% of it gone in eight months, it's easy to say, ooh, should I keep being consistent, Jonah? Should I keep putting that money back every paycheck? I don't know. It's looking real, real. I mean, don't you know who's in the White House? Haven't you seen inflation? Haven't you seen the price of gas? Maybe I should stop saving. Maybe I should be a little less consistent in my savings. Maybe I, may God, I, 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 it makes sense. I'm just going to stop saving and just see what happens. But what, I do, what you don't realize, and in that moment, if you stop saving, you are missing on an opportunity to buy that stock, buy that mutual fund cheaper than it's been over the last 8, 9, 10, 12, 13 years and let me tell you the stock market has proven in every 10 year period in the history of man that if you stick to it it'll come out on top it'll come out on positive let me tell you something right now like 99% of the time but let me give you 100% odds right now if you'll stay consistent with Jesus even when it looks bad even when it's hard even when it feels like you're losing even when it looks like your generation is going down the pot even if it looks like everybody else is going the way of Cain if you'll keep on praying if you'll keep on going to church if you'll keep on being consistent, if you'll keep on serving God 100% of the time, let me tell you this right now, child of God, you'll come out on top. You'll come out with victory. You'll come out with power. You'll come out with anointing. You'll come out with a restored marriage. You'll come out with a renewed home. You'll come out with a life on top 100% of the time. He's got perfect odds, a perfect track record. Stay diligent, my friend. But if you bail out when it gets hard, think about it. Go do a study on billionaires and millionaires out there in the world and find out how many of them made their money when they jumped on the bandwagon, when the market was averaging 40, 50% returns. No, people who made their money are those people who invested chunks of their time, chunks of their money, chunks of their resources in 2008 when the, when the housing market crashed and you can buy houses for pennies on the dollar. People who made their money are people who threw money in the stock market when it was way, 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 way down because not too far in the future, it went way, 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 way up and they came out on top. Why? Because they invested when it looked like like they shouldn't. Child of God, invest when it looks like you shouldn't. Say, I, I can nerd out while preaching. Praise God. The Bible says, be a glow in the spirit, enthusiastically serving the Lord, eager or intense enjoyment in serving God. Listen, we need some eager 
people, young people of God. We need some people who have some intense enjoyment about serving God. Eager or intense enjoyment in serving God. That Greek word there is entheos. Everybody say entheos. You just learned a Greek word. It means divinely inspired. That's what the word of God says. We should constantly be a glow in the spirit, enthusiastically serving the Lord. It should be oh so evident that you are joyful in serving God that it looks as if you were divinely inspired by God himself. Come on, it's time we get our joy in serving God back. It's time we get our happiness in serving God back. It's time we get our enthusiasm in serving God back. It's those that are enthusiastic. Those are the ones who are vocal about it. That early church was enthusiastic. When Mary of Magdalene, when she got redeemed by God, she was enthusiastic. When Jesus met that woman of the well, she was enthusiastic about meeting Jesus. She was so enthusiastic, she ran to the city. And she goes, I know what you think about me, ladies. I know I've had five husbands. I know I'm a homewrecker. But come see a man who showed me and told me everything I'd ever done. It's time we get enthusiastic about what God's done for us. And go out to our workplaces. Go out to our schools and say, come and see a man. Come and see a man who can walk on water. Who can open up blinded eyes. Who can unstop deaf ears who can heal a home and touch a heart in the name of Jesus. Come see a man. It's time we get enthusiastic about this. I got to hurry. Help me, Jesus. Steadfast and patient in distress. Oh, boy. This is the behavior of a godly woman of God, a man of God, someone who is steadfast and patient in their distress. You can see the true character of a person in a moment of distress and under pressure. It's true. Driving down Green Road last night, I'll be vulnerable youth pastor for a minute. I don't do it often, but you know, people start judging you and you have problems as a preacher. Like, I don't know, whatever. I was driving down the road, green road last night. You know, my wife and I, we do our country drives. We just do it every night. Even tonight, I'll get three hours of sleep. I'm going on my drive. Tell you what we do. We go, we pull down. We go down past the three-way stop, 536, down Wilson Road, down. We drive past our property on Walton Nichols, and we turn left on Percival, drive all the way down the Walton. We get down on, on the highway. We turn left. We go down to Green Road, come back up Green Road on the Walton Nicholson, back down Banklet all the way home. It's every night. We do it every night. I got down. I was so overwhelmed yesterday. Just the trip and some just ministry stuff. Could I just leave it at ministry stuff? One day you'll understand. There was just some ministry stuff going on, and I'm sitting in the car, winds are breezing, and I just start crying. I don't cry very often, but I started sobbing. I stuck my hand out the window. I let out a Holy Ghost roar. I started praying in that unknown tongue because I was under pressure. I was under distress. I felt overwhelmed. My heart was broken because people were doing dumb stuff and not living for God, and I was stressed about work and stressed about this trip and stressed about this and under pressure about that, worried about this and worried about that, and I was driving down Green Road, and I just, I just let out a Holy Holy Ghost. I started speaking in the unknown tongue, started praying. My wife reached over, put her arm around me. We just started praying on down Green Road. Listen, who you are is what is revealed under pressure, right? right? That storm, if you read your Bible in the book of Matthew, Jesus told a parable about a house and, uh, and, he, and he began to talk about what the house was built on. And the Bible says a storm came to all three of those houses and only that which was built upon the rock, that house stood, that house endured, that house remained after 
after the storm blew against it. Listen, I want to tell you something. You don't realize it until you really read that parable that it was the storm that revealed the foundation. That foundation is underground. Nobody can see it, but it wasn't until that storm came it was evident what that house was built on. Driving by, all three of those houses looked the same. They had the same shingles. They had the same siding. They had the same roof. They had the same finishes. They looked like multi-million dollar houses, but the same storm came, and only the one that was built upon the rock remained. Why? Because the storm will always reveal what you've built on right now. Let me tell you something, young person. You may not have a lot of trouble. You may not have a lot of trial right now, but take the opportunity to build your life and your home upon Jesus Christ, the rock of your salvation, because you will experience a storm of life one day. And I don't want to see that storm reveal a sandy foundation that is built upon self. Amen. The Navy SEALs have a creed that they won't let someone go through to be a SEAL until they've thoroughly tested that man under pressure to see if he's a warrior, lest they find out in the field while under fire. In fact, they say this quote, under pressure, people rarely rise to the occasion. Rather, they sink to their level of training. Child of God, listen to me. Let us train our spirit through prayer. Let us train our spirit through the word of God. Let us train our spirit through devotion and godly affection. Let us train our spirit through consecrated, dedicated living to God. Because one day you'll go through a storm. And listen, you will not rise to the occasion. Your flesh is not capable of doing that. But what you can do is kill that flesh and feed that spirit as much as you can. And when that pressure comes, you will sink to the level of your training. So raise the floor as high as you can get it. And say, I'm going to pray. I'm going to read. I'm going to dedicate. I'm going to honor my Lord with my life. Amen. Devoted to prayer. Continually seeking wisdom, guidance, and strength. We ought to be devoted to prayer. Pursuing the practice of hospitality. That is friendly and generous reception and entertainment of guests, visitors, and strangers. Did you know that was in the Bible? The Bible tells you to be given to hospitality. Open up your home to people. Open up your life to people. The Bible says be friendly and generous, reception of guests and entertainment, visitors and strangers. Bless those who persecute you. Oh, just, I should say I'll stand here because everybody's about to tune me out. Bless those who persecute you, who cause you harm or hardship. Bless and do not curse them. The Bible says in Matthew chapter 5, verse 10, Jesus was talking about the Beatitudes. He said, blessed are the peacemakers, for they shall be called sons of God. If you want to be called a child of God in this last day, make peace, not war. Rejoice with those who rejoice. That means share in other people's joy. Don't get jealous when somebody else gets blessed. Don't get jealous when somebody else has something. When somebody is happy and joyful about what they got. Come on, 16 years old and someone got a new car. Don't be jealous because they got a nicer, newer car than you. Rejoice with them, right? Because one day in the future, they're going to go through a hard time. Next part of this verse, weep with those who weep. They're going to experience loss. Grandma's going to die. Mom's going to be sick. Something's going to happen. And they're going to be down and they're going to be out. And then you can weep with them. That is what the body of Christ is designed to do. Have joy with those who are joy. Weep with those who weep. Bear one another's burden. Be kind affectionate one to another God help us live in harmony live in harmony one with another <laughs> come on everybody say live in harmony do not be haughty that means conceited or self-important don't be exclusive but associate with humble people people those with a realistic self-view of themselves do not overestimate yourself is what scripture tells you never repay evil for evil you know what she did to me? 
You know what he did to me? Did you see what they posted about me? on Y'all, listen, here's what the devil will do in your head. You'll see the most ambiguous post on social media. This girl or this boy will post something on social media. And that devil will convince you, although that person didn't post that thing about you, you were as far from their mind the moment they posted that. They weren't even thinking about you. But that devil will jump on your shoulder, crawl through your ear, get in your brain, and he will tell you, she posted that about you. He posted that about you. Right? And you will convince yourself they were attacking you and they were coming after you. And the devil, that is exactly what he does. But the Bible says that we ought to live in harmony one with another and not repay evil with evil. And then you go to social media and you clap back. And you go right back at him. I don't know why I, don't know why I clapped there. It made no sense. I know. But you all know what I mean when I say clap back. Is that a relevant term to you all? Okay, y'all tweet back, you post back, you snap back. Oh, that's a good one, snap back. Thank you, that resonated. Come on, she snaps you, she talks dirty about you, she dogs you, and he dogs you, and you snap back. And you just get into this thing in the social media war. You're revealing what's in your heart. You're just, just, just ignore it, turn the other cheek, seek peace and pursue it, live in harmony with all people. Blessed are the peacemakers, so they shall be called sons of God. You're welcome, I helped you. Amen. Take through, take thought for what is right and gracious and proper in the sight of everyone. If possible, as far as it depends on you, live at peace with everyone. Beloved, never avenge yourself because, let's just cut to the chase, that belongs to the Lord. And God's way better at getting revenge than you ever could be. He can. God will shut your critics up. Give it time. He ain't going to do it when you want to. That's part of his tactic. He doesn't want to pacify your flesh. Get him now, God. Get him now, God. Get him now, God. Just give it time. Just pray. Keep your mouth shut. As Pastor Tom used to tell me, cierra su boca. That's Spanish for shut your mouth. Just keep it quiet. I think that's what it said, if I believe correctly. Right? He said, keep your mouth quiet. Listen, I'm going to tell you a story. When I first came to this church, I came from a church I grew up in my entire life, from Little guy, all the way up to college student. Grew up in the youth group, youth leader. Worked in the, worked in the worship team. I mean, I, mean I, I was serving in this church. I taught this church. I, I, I grew up in this church. I learned so much from so many people in this church. But there was a moral failure among the leadership of this church. And I ended up, you know, meeting Pastor Tom in my first year of Bible college. And Pastor invited me to come to Kentucky. Why don't you go to Mexico with us? We're about to go on a missions trip. You can come cut some grass and work work at the church, work on my property. Yeah, I'm, yeah, how many of y'all been on the blessing side of Pastor Tom, right? When he wants to bless somebody, he blesses them. And he blessed me that summer. I just cut some grass and worked for him and traveled with him. He paid for my mission trip to Mexico. And I went on this mission trip and I got to know people. Well, in the middle of that summer, this moral failure at this church was revealed to me with one of my friends who was a young lady, a youth in the group and an adult in the church. Uh, they had done some things they shouldn't have done and it started to come out. And it came out because this young lady confessed in me and Pastor Tom overheard a, overheard a conversation that I was having with this young lady. And so one day I'm driving down the road with Pastor Tom. I'm like, Pastor, what would you do in this situation? And he's like, you mean so-and-so doing this with so-and-so? And I was like, oh, God, God told Pastor. And he was like, no, no, no. I was outside your door last night. I heard you talking to your friend. I was like, oh, thank God. Right, but I was like freaked out for a second there. But anyway, the... the you know, and so pastor ends up confronting this situation. This church I grew up in my entire life. People I had spent the night with. People that I had, 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 had just, I had 
been best friends with my entire life, literally disowned me, ran my name through the ground, wouldn't have anything to do with me. And pastor at that time, just to keep your mouth shut, don't worry about it. Let them say, you got people here who love you. Keep on serving God. I kept on serving God. It took six, seven, eight, nine years. But you know what eventually happened? It all came out. It was all revealed. And listen, when God had done such a work, and when that happened to me, I was so mad. I'm like, God, just reveal it. Catch them. God, catch them. Just put it on the front page of the newspaper. Let them news and drive by and catch them and just put it out there. I'm like, God, get him, just get him. And God didn't get him. But God got me. He dealt with my heart to the point where I didn't pray, God, get him. I said, God, forgive him. God, restore him. God, renew him. God, refresh him. And then he got this position to go, pre, to go be a youth pastor at this huge, big church. And I got bitter for just a second. I said, God, bless him. Let his ministry thrive. God, I hope he's been restored to you. And listen, today, yeah, it all came out. Long story short, God had his way. Praise God. If your enemy is hungry, feed them. If he is thirsty, give him something to drink. For by doing so, you'll heap coals of burning coal upon his head. And lastly, do not be overcome and conquered by evil, but overcome evil with good. Let's all stand tonight. The last verse is speaking of how many are overcome in these last days by doing evil or by evil being done to them. As believers, we can overcome evil by behaving like Christians, by displaying their characteristic of a Christian. Thanks for listening. If you were blessed or encouraged, go ahead and subscribe to the Impact Podcast and share it with a friend to bless them too. Connect with us on Instagram at impactym and remember, you can have as much of God as you want.